podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. We're carrying on with our series on responsible business, and today we're having a great conversation with somebody called James Perry. Do you want to say a little bit about James quickly? Yeah, uh, so I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, James is co-chairman at uh, a company called Cook uh, and co-founder, I think, as well. Uh, and they make uh, effectively frozen ready meals, but with really high quality produce. And uh, the idea is they should feel like, you know, you made them at home. But he's also got some really interesting other roles. He's partner at Project Snowball, and he's also on the Global Governance Council of B Lab. And that's we talk quite a lot to him about B Lab and their associated B Corps, um, which has uh, goes a long way to furthering our discussions on responsible business. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Cook, which James co-chairs, is actually a B Corps as well, so it's a responsible business. Um, and in the upcoming conversation, we explore what responsible business is, what a B corporation is, how to become one some of the motivations that people might have to uh, adopt in a, a responsible approach to business and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, so if you're interested in how profit-making organizations can put people and the environment back into their strategy and into the way they work in a meaningful way, he is definitely worth uh, listening to. Enjoy the conversation. Okay, so here we are in the core of this episode in which we're looking at responsible business and things of that nature. Um, and we're having a conversation with James Perry, who's got a fantastic background in this uh, domain. Um, James, before we get into some broader questions, would you be able to introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe say a bit about your background? Yes, hello, my name's James Perry. I am currently co-chairman of Cook, a business that I helped uh, build with my brother. Um, and I'm also a founding partner of Snowball, which is an impact investing firm. And I'm also on the board of B-Lab in the UK, which I co-founded. That's great. I hadn't realized you'd founded the B-Lab in the UK. Um, before we get on to some of that, you, you, this conversation that we're having and this episode is part of an entire series on responsible business. It's an area that we are interested in and we think our listeners are in. Um, but before we delve into it a little bit, would you be able to say a little bit about what you think responsible business means? What's it mean to you? Um, yeah, and in, in, in answering that question, one almost has to think about what irresponsible business is. Um, cool. I, I think business, what is business? Business is, to me, it's a get stuff done machine. It's something that goes out into the world and gets stuff done. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what, what are we asking it to do? And business has an operating system which is about 50 years old where it's been told that its job is to go out and make money for its shareholders. And I think the question we're asking ourselves now is whether that's the right operating system. Um, and so for me, what responsible business is all about is addressing ourselves to this question of actually what the purpose of business is. So in some of the things that we talk about and some bits that we, we write about, we've talked about shareholder value maximization and shareholder capitalism versus stakeholder capitalism. When, when you think about, I guess, the, the stakeholders and, and you talk about the operating system for business and, and who it's there to serve, who do you think responsible businesses should serve? Well, I think that, uh, well, any economist will tell us that there are three inputs. 
uh, land, labor and capital, you know, any economics degree, that's what they teach you. Um, and uh, business is currently operated to serve the needs of capital. And actually, it consumes uh, people and planet, land and labor um, in the in the exercise of creating more financial capital or profit. Um, and so my view would be very much that business needs to serve all three of those capitals. It needs to serve land, labor and capital rather than just exclusively capital. So if we think about your early point about um, what irresponsible business is and, and things like that, what do you think the implications would be for us at a societal level, environmental level, if businesses um, fail to become more responsible? Have you got any views on that? Well, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that we're experiencing a, uh, a bit of a breakdown in terms of our economic system and confidence in whether or not it's uh, serving us as the human species. You know, we're experiencing what is increasingly seen as a climate emergency. There's also a kind of social emergency, which is driven by inequality. And, you know, Chile is, is um, riots in Chile, riots in Hong Kong, Brexit, Trump, it's the Gilets Jeunes in, Fra- in France. It's all over, which is um, and, and, and which is affecting our politics. And the underlying cause of that, to me, is an economic system which doesn't value people or planet uh, in, the, in the sort of single minded uh, pursuit of profit. Um, so I think that there's a kind of uh, there's a real fundamental question about, um, you know, what kind of economic system do we want? And we're seeing business people, you know, from top to bottom starting to ask themselves searching questions about what the purpose of business actually is. I think that's really interesting to call out some of the voices from uh, business leadership. So we have, you know, Larry Fink at BlackRock saying they won't invest in organizations that don't have um, a climate policy. And we've got the chief executives forum. I I can't remember the exact name, the the big body of chief execs coming out this summer and saying that um, business needs to be more responsible and think about broader um, stakeholders. Uh, one of the one of the challenges that I think some people have with that is the credibility of some of these organizations and particularly the large um, corporate leaders uh, who maybe say one thing and do something else. What's your sense about whether we're really changing things now? You know, what do you think about the credibility of some of these statements? Well, I think you're absolutely right to ask that question. Um, and I think it's a question that we all need to ask and we need to ask it rigorously and we not, need not to accept greenwashing or sort of platitudinous words um, as an answer. You know, it's the business roundtable in the US. There's sort of the group of the most senior US CEOs, you know, from Jeff Bezos at Amazon down, really. Um, It's also the future of the corporation work at at the British Academy here in the UK, which includes companies like BP, Rio Tinto, UBS. Uh, It's also... You know, in Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum in February, they're going to launch their what they call their 2020 manifesto, which is saying we have to transition from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. So they're all at it. And the question is, at what point does that become more than just palliative words? And that's the right question to be asking. You know, um, we mentioned uh, Larry Fink at BlackRock, mm-hmm. um, and he's, had some, he's written these rather... Um, lyrical letters to his investee CEOs over the last couple of years. But actually, when you look at BlackRock's voting record, and it's holding up to 5% of many of the world's largest companies, it has the power to change their policies. um, But its voting record does not stack up um, as consistent to what he's writing in his letters. So this is 
all about delivery. Talk is cheap. Yeah, okay. Well, let's come on to some of that investment side a little bit later when we speak about Snowball and, and your other activities in that space. Um, before we get into that, it would be really good to explore a little bit of your journey around Cook. Um, so obviously, you were part of the team setting up Cook. You were exec at one point, um, chair. Um, and Cook went, uh, well, actually, would you say a little bit about what Cook is to the listeners, just so they know what we're speaking about? So we make and uh, we make and sell uh, handmade food, so top quality frozen meals using the same ingredients and techniques that a good cook would use at home. Great. Okay, and people can come in and buy sort of frozen food to keep in their freezer, cook for friends and family, stuff like that. Exactly. Um, we, have, we have ninety shops, four hundred concessions, and a national home delivery business where we sell it. Right. Okay. So so that gives a sense of a scale and the type of product that's in there. Um. Now, Cook, I believe, became one of the earliest UK B corporations. Um, would, you, would you be able to say a little bit about what a B corporation is? I know you've got a B Corp hat as well, and we've covered B Corp a little bit elsewhere, but would you be able to do a high-level overview for people who might not have heard our other shows? Yeah, so a B corporation is a company which has decided to pursue uh, this triple bottom line rather than single bottom line. So we're interested in creating value for people, planet, and profit, uh, and shareholders. Um, and the way it works is that that is um, entrenched in the company in two ways. The first one is legally. So every B corporation has to change their articles of association, their legal basis, so that it reflects that the board's duty is to create value for those three uh, groups rather than just for shareholders. Um, and the second thing is that, that there's a quality system, essentially a measurement system called the B impact assessment, which all B corporations have to implement. Uh, and they have to score a certain level of uh, performance uh, on behalf of their communities, their workers, the environment uh, and their shareholders in order to be able to qualify to be a B Corporation. OK, great. So that's interesting. Um, and I noticed that you guys became a B Corporation as Cook in 2013. And I wondered if you could share some of your thought processes around what led you to become a B Corporation um, and, and what you were thinking at the time. And part of the reason I ask is that we've got listeners who are themselves part of uh, organizations that might be considering this. So it'd just be good to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I had a formative experience uh, when I was trained at Cadbury Limited when I left university on their graduate training program. And that was a great Quaker business, which whilst I was there, uh, experienced a program called Managing for Shareholder Value, where all of the sort of values of the business were stripped out in the interests of uh, helping the company to make more money more quickly. Um, which I found to be quite an objectionable experience to, to, see, to see firsthand. And when we set up Cook, we um, wanted to pursue a triple bottom line, but were told essentially that that wasn't how the world worked and the venture funds couldn't accommodate it, their fund mandates, their fiduciary responsibilities and so on. And I learned that basically global capitalism is operated under this idea of profit maximising. And when, when we were objecting to it, we were alone and we were told we were mad and sort of gaslighted, if you like. And uh, that was something that was very disconcerting. So when we came across the B Corporation movement, it was like, oh, I'm not mad, finally. <laughs> you know? And so joining the B Corp movement was like an imperative to be together um, so that we could, because on our own, we can't change the economic system, but perhaps together we can make a dent. Yeah, interesting. And I'm sure there are others out there who are having these thought processes and, and uh, still on the journey to deco discovering B Corp and, and some of the ways that they can be. Yeah, I think it would be it would be really interesting to understand how long it took from sort of that first moment where you realised you weren't alone through to becoming a B Corp and what that whole process was for you as an organisation. 
Yeah, well, I actually uh, first encountered it in 2010 in San Francisco at a conference called SOCAP, which is Social Capital Markets, which was exploring this whole idea of what a capital market looks like in a people, planet, profit kind of context. And Jay, one of the founders of B Lab, was there and he was talking about B Corps. And I was like, that guy has cracked it. I want to be a B Corp. And I came home to the UK and said to Ed, my brother, um, we've got to become a B Corp. And he said, you are, you've gone mad. You've just drunk the Kool-Aid in San Francisco. <laughs> yes. Shut up, basically. Um, although he was always, you know, we, we shared that view of what our business, we wanted our business to be. Um, you know, he just, he just couldn't get his head around it. And it wasn't until, and, and, and back then it was difficult to see the B Corp movement because it wasn't as apparent as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically by about 2013, I'd, I'd persuaded him uh, and the leadership team uh, bought into it. And then we started the process, which took a while. I mean, it's, 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 it's not easy. It's, it's meaningful, but not easy. And so I think it's really interesting because obviously there is a unique dynamic around you needing to persuade your brother, which comes with it, multiple relationship issues as a worker. But I can absolutely envisage that conversation and that that single person connecting with something like Beacor in an organization alone right now listening to this. What's, what, what sort of advice would you have about winning people over to that cause when they're sort of, they're not in that place where they believe that this is possible, even if they might have the sentiment? Well, the power of the B Corp movement is, is in doing it together and in being part of something that's global and spreading really fast. It's an incredibly powerful thing to be part of because actually there's so much learning and there's so much opportunity for collaboration um, in this. You know, If you're pursuing interdependence as your core idea, which is what the B Corps are doing, it's completely different to pursuing individualism, which is the organizing idea of traditional business. And so, um, and so, the re- so therefore, the, the, the best thing people can do is to show up to an event or, uh, or sort of start socializing with, with, with the community and there are open events that the community organizes. Because then it's just like, you know, either this is my crowd, these are the people I want to hang out with and learn from, or it's not. Um, and that's a really great way of people understanding whether it's for them. Okay, great. And you mentioned it was it was quite a, a tough but meaningful process. I think you said. Um, what what were the biggest challenges along the way for you guys? Well, the way that the system works is you've got to score eighty points in an assessment, uh, which t- which covers workers, community, environment, and governance, and any any impact business model that you have. So it's quite a comprehensive framework. When we first did it, we scored fifty nine points. We needed to get to eighty. We therefore did a kind of gap analysis and we worked out what we'd have to do to transition to where we needed to be. And it was quite a major change program for our business. And really what we had to do is sit down and go, wow, this is going to be a lot of work. Um, Is it the sort of thing we want to do? Is it the kind of, do we want to prioritize making these changes in our business? And when we looked at the list, we thought these are all things that are going to make us a better business. They're all things we should be doing. So we resolved to resource the change program, but we gave ourselves 12 months to do it. Um, and at the end of the 12 months, we came out with, I think, 80.2. The change managers amongst our audience would think that was a perfect result. Yeah. Just, just the right amount of effort. Um, <laughs> 
Well, the thing is, the lovely thing about the system is it's a race to the top. So yeah. no one's satisfied. They want more points because they want to be having a greater social and environmental impact. So it's a really good incentive. So now I think we're at about 87 points um, and we are we are clawing our way through everyone. I mean, Cook is, n- is never going to be a particularly high performing B Corp for one for one reason or another. You know, we manufacture frozen ready meals. Um, it's it's quite different to being, a, you know, a renewable energy company that only employs uh, people from the streets. You know, then you're scoring mm-hmm. on different levels. So um, but nevertheless, it's a it's a really great system to incentivize action. That's brilliant. And I guess the question for a lot of the listeners who maybe aren't aren't yet clear and aren't affiliated is what what's been the benefit for Cook? Well, the I mean, there's no real glib answer to that. And it's very difficult to attribute, uh, you know, our success directly to um, our B Corp certification. But what we've experienced is, uh, first of all, a much higher level of engagement from our people. So, you know, when we when we when we start doing things in the business, when we say to people, this business is basically a machine which can be used to affect the change you want to see in the world. People can't get their head around that at first. But when you sort of embed that in the culture and you really sort of workshop it out, people start, it unlocks creativity in the most extraordinary way. So from top to bottom in Cook, people understand that they can use this business as a force for good if it doesn't sort of, if it's not to the detriment of moving the business forward. And that has unleashed creativity in so many different ways. Um, you know, I can give you some examples, but um, so that's the main thing. So engaging the talent, bringing their whole brains into the room and uh, and enriching the strategy so that, you know, it's not just about flogging more meals and making more money. It's actually about all the good things we might do through literally every touch point we have uh, with society in the conduct of our business. It's a it's a complete transformation in how you think. That's that that does sound very transformative, particularly in the food production market, which is quite traditional. Um, I guess one one last thing for me before I know James got some questions that are uh, related to some of the uh, financial investment and the responsible business. But one specific thing for me for Cook, if I took a job at Cook next week versus worked at a another food manufacturing organisation that wasn't B Corp, operated under True. Uh, shareholder capitalism, finance was the only bottom line. What's my experience like as a worker there? How is it different? Well, the first thing, it dep- I mean, it, it slightly depends on whether you're a blue collar worker or, or a white collar worker. If you're a blue collar worker, you come and work in our kitchen. Um, the first thing that happens is that you're paid the living wage. Um, and the second thing that happens is you're introduced to a whole range of effectively benefits. Uh, that you wouldn't have in a traditional business. Because one of the organizing ideas that we have with respect to our people is the person is more important than their employment relationship with the company, which is a different starting point. So we're not starting with, you are an economic unit. How can I maximize your value to this company? We're starting with, you're a person and you matter. How can we make sure that you get the most out of your life during the period you're working for us? So that means that we'll have things like um, uh, we run a dream academy, which is a coaching program for people so that they can move forward with their life in things that are not work related. We have a lot of leadership development, but also a lot of personal development. So we run things like confidence workshops 
we have a sort of what we call a kitchen cupboard of, of things that people can access to essentially move their lives forward um, and grow as people, um, which are not directly related to whether or not they might be dishing up food on a line or something like that. So there's a whole raft of things. And then, you know, we get we get we get people's families involved. We have hardship funds. We have a holiday home which staff can use for free. So there's there's all sorts of things. And 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 underpinning it all is a kind of culture of care and love, really. So that, um, you know, we have we have a we have mental health first aiders throughout the business so that if there are people experiencing problems, there's always someone to talk to. So it's just looking out for each other in a sort of systematized way, I suppose. That all sounds fantastic, and it crosses over with some other pieces. Uh, Jane's looking a bit speechless. I think she needs to say something. No, no, I am literally speechless and also wondering maybe I should go and, go and yeah, get a yeah, job yeah, working yeah. on the line of cooking. Um, I just, I, I'm quite, I'm fairly familiar with food manufacturing from some various people I know working in it, and I just think that's, I, I would imagine it's a real challenge to convince people uh, at the beginning, and I think that's extraordinary and important. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. And I would add, I would add that you know we're not the finished article, and you know I mean I think we we do the Sunday Times best companies to work for thing, and you know we're really proud to be in the so, sort of top twenty five or something like that, but you know we're totally not like we see this as a journey, and we're only about you know seven or eight years into it, and every year we learn things, we get things wrong, we try things, um, so that and there's always new challenges as well. So um, it's not that it's a kind of linear path, and it's not that we're perfect. We're sort of constantly learning and we're constantly so so i don't want to kind of create the impression that somehow we've cracked we found the elixir no and i i don't i guess i guess the reason i'm speechless and i'm not speechless clearly but um the reason that it's taken me back a little bit to hear the detail is about it's the sense of ambition and, and the direction that you're very clear and articulate on around cook and i think um james and i've talked to quite a few people and you, you know there is one uniting thing that you come across when people want to change the way we do things in this world and it's that vision of there there can always be a better way yeah. and treating organizations like living organisms so treating them like this systematic ability to influence people's lives and people's experience of their life um and not treating work like this sectioned off thing that doesn't actually have massive impact for our own well-being um so i had a question on a similar type of topic, which is, you know, going back to the triple bottom line and, and the stuff that you're doing, how difficult do you find it or have you found it over the last few years balancing the financial needs of the organization, be they um, through your financing or funders or whatever it happens to be, with your desire to meet that triple bottom line and to, to be a force for good? Is that uh, an ongoing tension that you face? Well, so... On the, on the long-term top level, we are absolutely convinced that pursuing this is good business because we will have better, we'll attract and retain better people and we'll have better relationships with our customers, we'll be more welcoming communities where we want to trade and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and there's no question that there are some things which are just a straight cost, you know, so... Um, there was a time like, you know, we were you know, for, for the first few years of, of life, we lost money. And then we had a, a, a near death experience in the financial crisis in 2008. Yeah. Um, and when we were coming out of that by about 20, sort of third, about the time we certified as a B Corp, actually, we were sort of getting ready to pay our first dividend. Mm -hmm. And uh, we realized that we and we weren't paying the living wage and we just the living wage foundation, living wage. And we just thought. We just can't pay a dividend. 
um, if we're not paying our people the living wage foundation living wage. You know, that's just, it's not okay. So we didn't pay the dividend. So there's some real, there's some real times where the shareholders have had to sort of suck up, you know, the fact that we're putting our money where our mouth is, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and there's always a trade-off in terms of doing more. You know, like we transitioned to moving to using exclusively renewable energy in all of our logistics and manufacturing, which was which was ultimately a cost. You know, um, and uh, and and so, and I suppose our organising idea with all this is that unless the business is strong, if you haven't got a good sort of engine uh, that's that's thriving, then you can't really achieve much in terms of our mission. Yeah. So what we need to do is we need to keep the business strong. So it's a constant tightrope of trying to do more, but not uh, investing more than really the business can afford us to. Yeah. And it's that gradual transition from what you were saying earlier. It's a work in progress. And um, one of the things that you said that we've heard from several other people is about the fact that being a responsible business can lead to better outcomes for the business as well. And that there are some correlations in there, which is always a heartening message, I think. Um, as well as the stuff that you do on Cook, you're on the Global B Lab Governance Council. Um, what do you see the future of B Corp being? Have you got any thoughts about how it's growing, where it's going, anything that's changing? Well, it's 14 years old. There's now th- just over 3,000 companies around the world and a really strong global community of people who are very committed. Um, so, on that level, it's extremely healthy. And yet it's only 3,000 companies, you know. Yeah. Um, there are millions of companies. And the problems that we are facing are getting worse and accelerating. So I think there's a bit of a, um, a challenge or a, or, a, or a sort of tension between, you know, where the B Corp movement has got to, just, you know, albeit having been super successful, grown super fast, actually when you juxtapose that with the scale of the challenges we see, we face. And I think, therefore, that the future for the B Corp movement, yeah, it's continuing to grow very fast. It's attracting a huge amount of attention, increasingly from larger companies, multinational companies, yeah. um, which, is, which presents its own challenges, but is also extremely exciting because they are, the, the people that we speak to are very often very sincere about transforming their entire business um, to, to genuinely do this. And yet... It's still too slow. So I think that there's a, you know, there is a big conversation that will be happening um, in the next few years, uh, or in fact, it's happening all the time about how you can narrow that gap and reduce that tension of what needs to be done and what we can do um, at the pace we're growing. So what's your view on the relationship between or, or voluntary organizations, you know, B Corps is a discretionary thing and um, legislative or regulatory um, positions in, in different countries in the world. Do you, do you think there's a need for regulatory change or do you think that the types of change we're looking to affect could be achieved through um, self-regulation? No, we have 50 years of policy making, which is based on the idea of supporting profit maximising. So all over the world, all the policies have been written to support that idea in the belief that it boosted human prosperity. And what we're learning now is that that's a terrible idea. Um, it seemed like a good idea for a while, but we're learning now it's a terrible idea. So really, we need to rewrite policy root and branch. So for example, uh, taxation policy right now incentivizes the use of fossil fuels uh, yes. and mitigates against insulating your house. Or 
um, you know, air travel is subsidized. Fossil fuels are subsidized. Um, it makes no sense. And corporate law, the corporation is conceived as a vehicle to maximize profits. And we need to reconceive it in law, in culture, and all of the incentives that go around it need to be changed. Yeah. And that's a big piece of work, right? I mean, that, that's a, a hugely <laughs> ambitious undertaking, yeah. unless you know differently, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a 50-year worldwide global piece of work, right? Because yeah. that's how long it took us to do it the first time. Yeah. And, that's and I think the climate, emergency is, the climate emergency is unquestionably catalyzing that thinking. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. And I think, I think, I guess, my nervousness, but also excitement is that with the importance of the climate issue, we have an opportunity to not just scoot straight to a straight taxation funding solution for climate um, externalities and instead look differently about the role business plays because the people could again get lost in that piece or maybe not get included so it's just about how do we how do we get people to think about the big picture more when there's a burning platform of climate yeah so that's right reimagining the firm in itself is an important thing to do and and some great people are talking about this so um i think colin mayer talks about it a few times uh fairly often and quite a few people are trying to explore new ways to break down our I guess, existing legal structures. Um, some other aspects that are important beyond the legality, of course, are the funding and financing. And you said at the very beginning of your journey that when you spoke to financiers and, and funders about what you were hoping to do, you found it hard to get and receive funding. Um, you've now moved on to look at responsible investment as well. Um, and, and I think that, that feeds into this broader um, portfolio of work that you're trying to do. Would you be able to say a little bit about what impact investment is in your mind? Yeah, sure. So the this idea of profit maximizing is entrenched in business, but it's also entrenched in investment. So if you think of it as a market with a supply side and a demand side, business is the demand side. It needs capital. The supply side is investment, which invests capital. And the problem that this idea is entrenched on both sides of that market. So impact investing in some ways is the uh, or authentic impact investing is the kind of um, is the other is the um, other half of the B Corp coin um, because it's the idea that investors can intentionally seek a positive social and environmental impact alongside a financial return. Mm-hmm. So the phrase ESG is out there: environmental, social governance, investing. Um, a lot of a big fund. So we're up in Edinburgh. We know Standard Life Aberdeen up here run a big. Uh, effort towards ESG investing. And again, some of the challenges that I perceive in that space are, are around the equivalent of greenwashing or, you know, um, environmental washing and, and, and those different types of washing to, to make funds look greener than they are. Do, do you think that that's the case? Or do you think that these funds are more um, impact oriented than, than maybe my cynical mind perceives them as being? Well, ESG is a, is a different idea to impact investing mm-hmm. because ESG and companies need to have good environment, uh, social and governance uh, uh, kind of um, attributes. But it's, it's agnostic as to what, in, what industry you're in. So you can have a very high ESG score as a fossil fuel company or even a tobacco company. Right, OK. Um, what, what impact investing is saying is you are looking for a, a social or environmental impact through your investment. So crudely, at its most simple, it says you invest in you know, solar farms and wind farms instead of BP. Right. And you can actually get a similar financial return, but you're having a completely different impact on the world. So 
historically, investment looks at risk and return, mm -hmm. and it doesn't look at impact at all because the sort of Chicago school ideology says that all social responsibility is outsourced to government. As long as it's legal, you can do it. But of course, we know that in many parts of the world, there isn't really an effective legal system. And so companies can do what they like. Right. That makes sense. And it, it, thank you for drawing up that distinction between impact and ESG. Um, when you're when you've been going about setting up your uh, impact investment vehicle, What's that process been like? And what is it that you're specifically looking to achieve? Are you agnostic about the beneficial um, industries that you operate in? Or are you focusing on specific areas? This came about because we were, um, we were working with, a, we were doing, some, I was on the board of a charity which had an endowment and we were investing our money. And it made no sense for us to invest in conventional financial markets, which basically through the profit maximizing idea, we're creating the social and environmental problems that we were then using the grant of the income from those investments to try and solve. So, you know, at its most stupid and obvious, it's we're trying to alleviate cancer, you know, cancer suffering, and we're investing in tobacco companies to earn the money in order yes. to pay for the charitable interventions. So it, it just made, made no sense. So it was really, an, it came from an attempt to align the social purpose of the money, because it was a charitable endowment, with uh, its mission, and that led us into the into the world of uh, what wasn't even then impact investing. But what we found was an investment industry that literally didn't think about the impact it had because mm -hmm. it was none of its business, mm -hmm. and uh, and that that is insane, and it's one of the reasons that the world is in such a terrible situation now. But what Snowball does is it it's seeking to be a fund of funds a vanilla investment product, something you could put your pension into. So it's multi-asset, real estate, public equities, bonds, uh, cash, growth capital, venture capital, and so on. And it's and, and we, we theme it by impact. So we look at education, employment, housing and communities, health and well-being, environmental sustainability, financial inclusion. Um, and we, we, we essentially try to use all of the state-of-the-art impact methodologies that we can. That's excellent. Um, and so you are providing investment opportunities for people that are looking to address some of those uh, impact areas that you've identified. Um, when there are other people out there looking to uh, raise funding themselves, if somebody has a particularly um, purpose-driven uh, venture that they think will lead to positive impact, what do you think their, their routes are now to get funding to support that? How, could you say a little bit about that? Funding is extremely difficult. Um, and so the best answer is not to need it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good. My, my advice to everybody who, who sort of thinks they need funding is to challenge them as to whether they do, because if you can generate your own funding through making profits or through trading or even through contracts or... Um, or through raising it through family and friends is much better. But sometimes that's not going to work. And then it becomes about getting the right kind of finance, whether that's equity or whether it's debt, and, get, and getting the right kind of partners for that finance. And uh, equity finance for early stage ventures is extremely expensive and extremely difficult yeah. and uh, best avoided until it can't be avoided anymore. Yeah. Okay, that's some good advice. And and we um we've done another episode looking at some of these areas and there we've talked a little bit about things like community bonds and community investment 
funds and things like that that feel like there's maybe some benefit. But again, that's something that's new to me. I don't know if, if you've come across those before. Uh, peripherally, yeah, and um, and I think it, I think there's a whole um, there's a whole emerging industry, and I think uh, there's a there's a really fundamental difference between people who have an asset lock, so they're a charity or a social enterprise or a regulated social enterprise, or whether they're a, bi- a business company limited by shares like Cookies, um, because that that takes you into two different kind of routes with respect to the capital markets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, fun- fundamentally allows you to then get away from finance being the bottom line, but then limits your ability potentially to grow when you're in under those asset locks, etc. Um, That's right. So, sorry, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, the re- one of the reasons I love the B Corp thing so much is because it 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 it's sort of for me the area where the social purpose collides with. Um, a company structure which is easier to raise capital for. Yeah, and ultimately, if all organisations were B Corp or of similar makeup, we might need less of the charities and the CICs. That might just be the case. Um, Okay, so it's really interesting because lots and lots of things that we're covering. So thank you for being so flexible with our questions. But one of the things that would be really interesting as well is for some of our listeners who maybe aren't involved in this side of business, but they are passionate about the way they spend their money uh, or the businesses that they choose to work for. Um, what, what, how do you think individuals can best support responsible business? Well, our consumption uh, and our savings actually, um, and our talent all matter very much. And I think it's important that we see ourselves. Yeah, one of the things that the individualist, materialist, profit-maximizing paradigm has has sort of given us is this idea of ourselves as consumers. We're consumers. Our job is to consume, and actually, that's very constraining because if you if and, and what a more interdependent framing is is that we are in fact citizens, and our job is to show up. And when we show up, it's like it matters who we work for. It matters how we spend our money because it shapes our world. And if we all start to spend and work differently, then things will change. You know, the best example of that was Starbucks when they got caught out five or so years ago, not paying any UK tax. There was a public outcry. There was a kind of social media, no one go to Starbucks. And for a few days, no one went to Starbucks and Starbucks panicked. And they started throwing money at the British government. They were like, here's 100 million on account. We'll work out how much we owe. And that's what we have the power to do um, if we're prepared to move our consumption. Yeah, I would totally agree. And also, how much money would have I paid to be in the senior leadership meeting to see that conversation? Um, Okay, I think that's really helpful. And I think um, one of the things we always encourage in all of our episodes is to get people thinking about how they spend their money, thinking about the jobs they take, the organizations they work for, because all of that matters and that's their power. Um, but to do that, they probably need to understand a bit more about responsible business, B Corp, all of these things. Were If I was brand new to this, listen to this podcast for the first time and I was like, hang on, this is tapping into something I really believe in, but I'm currently working, spending all my money, I'm bought into that paradigm, I've questioned it, but I haven't really got my head around it. 
where can I go uh, online or you mentioned communities, but where can I go to learn more, to understand more, to learn how to be a more responsible individual, in, a citizen, as you put it? So there's a lot of, I mean, there, if ethical consumption, there's quite a lot of um, stuff out there on the web and it's just worth searching for it. Of course, it's worth looking for the B Corp. I would say this, wouldn't I? It's worth looking for the B Corp logo on product. Mm -hmm. uh, the B Corp website has all the B Corps on it. Uh, and you can buy a lot of stuff you need, like clothes and food and um, and baby food and baby clothes and lots of things. Um, I think um, I think from a savings point of view, if you are fortunate enough to be a saver, um, you know, there's there's ethical banks um, and p places like Triodos. There's increasingly ethical IFAs who sell you an I ISA, which is actually genuinely shaping a better world rather than um, exploiting and extracting. So. So entering into this headspace and then just ex just exploring it on through search and through conversation, it's, it's almost like there's no golden bullet. It's like a way of life. It's a choice of how to live. Um, and it's a journey. OK, well, that's a that feels like a highly appropriate place to uh, leave my questions. So thank yeah. you for that, James. Yeah, I think I think I'm good as well. I like the image of a journey. I think um, I like uh, what you've laid out. So I think it's just time to say. I guess, thank you. Uh, that was really interesting and informative for us. And we certainly learned a lot. And I'm sure our listeners will as well. It's a real pleasure having me. Oh, thank you so much. We know you're super busy, so we really appreciate it. But we think it's a really important subject. So we're just delighted we can share it with our listeners. Okay, great. So that was our conversation with James. And you're back in the room with us. Um, I thought that was a great conversation. There was lots of good stuff in there from the responsible business definitions and exploration through B Corps, through some parts around finance as well. Um, so I, I took away a lot from it. What about you? Yeah, I, I guess the thing that I took away more than anything, and I, I got all of that, and it was mm -hmm. great, but I think the thing I got took away more than anything was a bit of hope. Yeah. Like I always, I feel, always feel run down with the whole cynicism around CSR, corporate social responsibility, and the greenwashing, and all of that stuff. And then talking to someone like James, who can so clearly articulate why he's done it, what he's done it for, and what he's continuing to work towards in all of his other work is is actually just quite inspiring. Yeah, it's good. It's it's an optimistic outlook. It's positive. Um, and a lot of the things that he's doing, I think, shed light on ways that we can all be a little bit more responsible in what we're doing, both in the organisations that we're part of um, and in our own lives as consumers and, and I guess, uh, corporate um, citizens and all that kind of stuff, you know, our, our roles in the world more generally. Um, so I think that's it for um, us this time. Until next time, it's just time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Have a great week. Take care, everyone. Bye now. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.